clubhouse. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of This Is Us. This is for the sixth season, 17th episode, the penultimate episode of both the season and the series. This one was called The Train. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Paul, I feel like we all came into this episode knowing that we were facing Rebecca's death, but in true This Is Us form, the way that they revealed both her death and surrounding events you know, just blew me over with, with how it, it impacted the story on a much larger scale. For those that weren't paying attention, William basically spells it out at the very end. <laughs> the whole pull the camera pull back. Pull the camera and back, right. See the larger story for what it is. And yeah. the larger story is that this is us for all this time we've been meaning us is the plurality of us. Yeah. So, which how? is interesting because when fans, you know, will say, I don't like it when they basically pay attention to anyone that isn't the Pearsons. If you kind of listen to William's words, then this whole time, everybody's story had merit in the larger series. The night of the showing of the airing of this episode, Caroline and I were manning the Twitter account, keeping up with everybody's thoughts and feelings. Whoa, boy, did none of you understand what was going on <laughs> with Marcus's family and what role he was to play in the Pearson story. To be fair, though, the way that they were doing the edits, they were being very confusing. So the way that they would be talking with Deja and then Cut shift to Marcus. directly to Marcus and then someone's talking to Marcus and saying, don't you have someone to go home to? And then cut directly to Deja. I mean, what were they really supposed to think other than Marcus was obviously Deja's boyfriend, right? And the father of her baby. I especially noticed it on, on rewatch the manipulative nature of the of the cuts mm -hmm. did take us back and forth. Oh, there's a pregnant Deja, who, by the way, the actress playing older Deja, we've seen her a couple of times so far, and they seriously fooled me into thinking that was just Deja's normal actress looking a little older. She matched the speaking or the speech pattern of teen Deja perfectly. Yeah, there was something about the tone of her voice and the way that she would pronounce words that, I mean, it was just perfection. Like, I mean, if you close your eyes, you absolutely would think this is the same actress, without a doubt. Exactly. They did a beautiful job with casting. I mean, we always have said that on this podcast, but I have to say it again. I mean, throughout this entire series, they have done an amazing job in having the the little guys, those little toddlers and the babies and the teenagers and then adults. And then now they're having to cast adults based on what kids look like. They just did a beautiful job. And I think that, you know, they should be commended for that. I know Ken Olin is out there clamoring for Emmys all around for casting and writing and production, just everything, everywhere around beyond the actors, but realizing what it took to create the show. If anybody has any great questions for the casting director, I will have a chance, a brief chance to see them in person in a couple of weeks at the ATX Television Festival. The casting director is there um, speaking at a panel specifically pointing at multi-generational casting. So please write into us if you guys have any questions. You can write into us at 
podclubhouse.com, or you can hit us up on Pod Clubhouse on Facebook or on Twitter. We totally want to hear what you guys have to say. And also, while you're around on the website, since we only have two episodes left of This Is Us, please make sure to go over and check out some of the other shows we're covering. We have over 40 different shows that we have going on of different TV episodes, different TV series that you would absolutely love. Love it or leave it to let you know which ones you should go and and bother watching. And also episode by episode coverage of different series. So please go check that out. So Paul, starting off with a car accident, this explosive freaking car accident. When we're all sitting there, we already have our tissues ready. We know this is Rebecca's swan song. And you start us off with this bang. I mean, (laughs) did you feel like this was effective storytelling? In that very This Is Us fashion that we've become accustomed to, where you have to wait for the whole episode to finish before you know what's going on. Absolutely. That was part of what was throwing so many people during the the airing, was they couldn't match up Marcus to anything. And it took until the very last second to see he was a researcher responsible for Alzheimer's medications. And I, and although they don't draw like a solid black line between, and by the way, Rebecca was on Alzheimer's medications, you're supposed to understand he made that. I think it's a fair assumption that he his medications were what kept her going in those last years, especially remember they were going to try the experimental treatment and right. all that stuff. So we have to assume that that was what they were talking about. So beyond Marcus being the one responsible for the Alzheimer's medication. And so we weren't just following his story because of that, but also because he was the competing patient on the night of the fire when Jack was in the ER. And so we had Dr. Mr. Noodle, if you will, from Sesame Street. (laughs) For all of you Sesame Street fans, it's the same actor. And he basically had to choose between patients, which I know that there's a lot of outcry that like, are you telling me there's one doctor in the ER like that would really have to run back and forth between these two rooms? But you have to, you know, suspend disbelief on some of this stuff and say, maybe, maybe there was, maybe there was. And and a lot of people are saying, why wasn't Jack on oxygen? Why wasn't other things? And we have to remember, you know, protocols change over the years and that he was presenting as normal. That's the doctor's term. So we have to believe that he gave him a good assessment and that he he was looking good. There was no reason to assume what was going on. Now, there are tons of articles you guys can go check out where if you just type in like, could Jack Pearson survive the smoke inhalation, anything like that, you are going to get doctors weighing in on what the treatment would be and what smoke inhalation does to your heart. There's tons of scientific medical articles out there based on Jack Pearson's circumstances, what would happen, which always warms my heart that when a TV show can kind of infiltrate different aspects of the world and get people to comment on what a character's situation is, you know, like professionals out there who have to say like, yes, this could have happened or no, that couldn't have happened. I love that. That, oh, it makes it all seem that much more real because there's these medical professionals treating it like Jack Pearson's a real man and we all need to deal with what happened to him. Like, um, I think we have found on occasion, it's either a psychologist or a psychiatrist who has a YouTube channel who kind of forensically re-examines behavior of characters to help diagnose what 
various psychoses they may be suffering from to explain said behavior. So yeah, it's a thing. And and you guys, we would we would drop names if we remembered them, but we don't. But if you check it out, I know there's another one where there's a lawyer who actually goes through different TV shows <laughs> and they'll like explain like different like kind of court drama TV shows and they'll be like, this is where they should have objected or this is what the situation yeah. or here's what the actual law says or whatever. Very cool when you kind of like blur the line between, you know, a written story here for television that suddenly becomes so realistic that uh, we have to have like <laughs> practically the Surgeon General weigh in on whether Jack got proper treatment or not. But it turns out that Jack was doing so well, he went to go get himself a cup of coffee, himself a cup of coffee, right? Not even Rebecca was running to go get it. He was out in the lounge getting himself a cup of coffee. That's a weird moment because she went to get snack well, when he died. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the deal was he seemed to be alone in the room for about 20 minutes. As of, if you follow everything everyone said, Mr. Noodle, Dr. Noodle, <laughs> I know it's Dr. Spencer, I believe. But he comes back and he says, but I only, I, he was presenting as normal 20 minutes ago. So that's when the doctor left. And, the, and Rebecca leaves pretty much right after that. As soon as he gives Jack the news that he's pretty much okay, everything was all right, we, we treated your hands. Rebecca's like, I'm going to go call to make reservations for the hotel for someplace for us to all go stay. And, and I'm going to get some food. At first blush, my gut wanted Marcus to be going through something. I know that I know that he was dead technically and they were doing CPR, but when the doctor showed up, they didn't change anything that they were doing. My gut wanted him to be bleeding out or going to lose his leg or something and he had to be there. So I believe he gave some verbal instruction right then and everyone go back and watch, but I think he did because I remember the nurse saying good call to the doctor. So he made some sort of verbal call, like use this medication. Like, Keep doing CPR. Use, yes, it was what, he mean, did. You're totally right. He was like, do what you do, everyone. Bring him through. <laughs> nice doctoring. On one hand, it really created this situation where you had the the death of Jack happening because the boy was saved. And we could create a thousand other things like why wasn't there a second doctor? Why didn't the the, you know, Dr. Noodle, why didn't he put oxygen on on jack or why didn't he post a nurse in there or something when he left he shouldn't have been left alone essentially is what every medical article says he should never have been left alone because if someone was there right away the chances go down to like 10 percent if you're given immediate care now I, I assume he would have been close it was for for a widow maker um, heart attack it's 70 percent death if no one's there but 10 percent death if you have like immediate care so the idea that the doctor wasn't in the room actually really really freaking mattered well and he wasn't hooked up to telemetry he's getting coffee <laughs> we all just have to just let it go that it was like uh, i don't know what to say this was obviously another time and that doctor clearly was making calls that evening that some of us would not have made right so marcus you know he has this foot injury which is not necessarily life ending but you have jack with smoke inhalation which again is not necessarily life ending so you so you have these situations that neither seem to rise to the occasion to be like all hands on deck right i mean marcus they obviously were saying you don't want to lose the foot like totally get that sure but it didn't seem like he was going to die right May, but i know he was coding like i totally get it but it was all the injury wasn't like his head was spliced open like they could have done a million things to make it more dramatic to make it seem like the doctor absolutely had to be in that room but i kind of liked it that they kept the injuries to a point where it was like i could go either way for either of these people that's where i ultimately landed mentally after watching the show a second time thinking about it a little bit more was that just sort of random nature that that jack's death 
sort of had in the first place was driven home by the, and it could happen to any one of quote unquote us, mm-hmm. that just these tiny little factors all added up to, to shift the, the, the snowball of, of, of odds out of Jack's favor right then. Not being hooked up, not having the oxygen, not having the nurse, not having the doctor there. And, and just for that brief moment in time that he was absent. Um, and even Rebecca stepping out, you know, so to yeah. not holler for someone right away right. when something was happening. I'll add a little extra information for those of you who don't remember. I'm doing a rewatch right now. There's been several times when he wants to enlist in the army. His heart condition is noted. There's another time when he walks in and his dad's fighting with his mom and Nikki's going to step in. And instead he steps in. And when he goes over and it's all over, his mom puts her her his mom puts her hand on his chest and says, oh, Jack, your heart is beating so fast. And Jack says, oh, it always beats fast like that. I think that there was a lot of breadcrumbs that like Jack's heart probably wasn't 100%. This was something that, again, because he doesn't talk about the past, I bet he'd never shared with his wife or I bet didn't share in that ER that like, oh, BT dubs. My heart, you know, hasn't always been 100%. I've had other people tell me that, you know? Yeah. So a lot going on there that they weren't monitoring for. So we have to focus, though, not on Jack's death, because that's not what this episode's about, but on the meeting of Kenny, the dad of Marcus, and Jack. The dad, you might recognize, his name is Dulé Hill, and he was one of the leads on Psych. I loved him in Psych. I have to tell you, Paul, I always confuse him for the actor who played Bud on The Cosme Show, always. And it is not the same actor, but I always confuse him for that. Because I think he looks like the adult version of what Bud would have looked like, right? But the funny thing is that Bud's name in the show was actually Kenny. And what's funny about that is that the character in This Is Us that Dulé's playing is named Kenny. And so I was like, how dare you tease me with this? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, he was co-lead on Psych, also several years on the West Wing, also several years on Suits, also several years on Ballers on HBO. So this guy gets around. He was Mr. Manny in The Muppet Babies. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, so that's a thing. That's something our kids would care a lot about. Yeah. What did you think about having these two fathers talking about life and comparing their what Kenny is professing as his absolute worst day? And here's Jack giving the Dr. K speech about lemons. The word that kept coming up in... The show, as well as uh, Dan Fogelman's description of the show, was meant that, or was that it kept representing the dichotomy of of life, right? Like trauma and and happiness or good times, right? I think that's what that scene was supposed to be representing. It was well, I mean, actually, both dads were having the worst night of their lives. I mean, how much worse can it get with your house burning down and then dying on the same night? But he's sharing that bit of knowledge from what was Jack's probably best day of his life, which was the birth of his his kids. Well, that was also a weird day, though. That obviously. was a weird I mean, day it was, with it, dichotomy. It had right? the same thing of, of being like both the be- best and worst, you know, birth of two healthy children, death of one child, also adoption of another child. Like so many things swirling, both good and bad. I want to remind us all because uh, the This Is Us NBC Twitter handle just put out a thing just recently that said, it was like the Dr. K quote where he says, I like to think that maybe one day you'll be an old man like me talking a younger man's ear off, explaining to him how you took the sourest lemon that life has to offer and turned it into something resembling lemonade. It was like Dr. K's wishes for him to pass it on. I think that that was a really beautiful, like, 
closing of the circle because we saw that Jack absolutely did continue to tell other people the story. And then to see later Marcus and his brother and sister sitting in the diner booth talking and they're joking about how this lemons motto is the, is their whole family uh, you know, belief system and everything, like how it like infiltrated them just as much as it did the Pearsons. Well, you could, you could almost make a, a guess that perhaps – Marcus, even though he was much younger, maybe he was that family's Kevin, where he sustained. I thought he was their family's Randall because he was like the nerdy one. No, no, but maybe in that family, no. But hear me out. Maybe he's that family's Randall, but but he got hurt instead of in the Pearson's family. That family's Kevin got hurt. Well, it's like everyone just a little twist. Yeah, could be. Where I was going was that that the injury, the sports injury, refocused whatever energy would have been going towards sports into another application, this kid's application happened to be that he has a big brain instead of, you know, handsomeness and <laughs> and being able to have a No, uh, well, he was supposed physique. to be this wonderful soccer star. Right. He, they were coming back from his- I mean, he was MVP his, his, and all this his, stuff. Right, his championship Yeah, so you're right. I mean, total Kevin in that regard. But I was taking him to be the Randall, I guess, because I don't know the way that he was more had this like anxiousness and everything, mm. and I was totally Didn't cure taking cancer on the first try. Right, 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 and I was totally taking the the other brother um, to be like much more Kevin like, like the one who kind of swatted the ball out of his hand, and the one who was kind of more the nudge, right? Okay. Like that was always more the Kevin kind of character. But I you're totally right. I think that within the three of the Brooks family, within the three of the Pearsons family, you can a hundred percent draw parallels between the kids and see that they were trying to show us like, here's how this particular kid had a sports injury and where it changed his path. And here's where this kid did this. Those kids were what, maybe in the eight to 10 years younger range than the Pearson kids that night? Because the Pearson kids were all maybe five getting ready to graduate high school. I'll say five years younger. I'm going to say that the, that the, the boy that swatted the ball seemed to be about 12. So, but they weren't triplets. So, I mean, they could be, you know, you're right, somewhere between like eight and 12. So, yeah, it was like just another family with just a a little, just a little change in the dynamic. And now you have this result. The other thing that struck me is from that night, you have an intact family in the Brooks home with the three siblings seemingly, you know, happy and healthy and growing and doing everything where, you know, those same kids in the Pearson family, they're minus a dad and they are now going through hell. You know, they're going through the time that basically broke them. Mm-hmm. And it was it was wild to see the Brooks family, like the the trio, um, you know, eating at the diner and being like, man, those the families, how it all turned out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how it was just the the twist of fate that night. Well, that's the thing. The twist of fate. All the all the tiny little factors. They don't add up to to such life changing events on a daily basis. But every right. so often they do, and that was one of those days. And the, and the fire itself. If you guys remember, the neighbors dropped off the crock pot because they were going to move. Never a used crock pot. But he even says, I'm not doing the rewatch. The neighbor even says, the switch is wonky. So you got to watch the switch. Like he even tells them at that time, right? But then also- That equals, thank you for your thing, and then <laughs> throw, throw it in, it in the, the trash. trash. Right, exactly. Then also though, they had gone to the mall to get batteries for the smoke detector. 
And when they were there, they get sidetracked getting ready for the dance and they kind of have arguments with the kids and Miguel meets them there and all this stuff goes on to where they forget the batteries. So it was all these small little choices to not throw away that crockpot, to forget the batteries when you went on a shopping errand. That's how you end up with the house fire. We all want to assign those gigantic earth-shifting moments in our lives to one decision that that equaled, you know, life or death. But it's, I think what this show and the writers are trying to tell us is, is that it almost never is. It's almost always these tiny factors. Mm-hmm. I, I thousand percent agree. So just so that everybody's clear, once again, the Brooks family existed. The dads existed at the same time back when the house fire happened. It was 1997. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that'd be right. Yes. And they so that's when that family existed. That's when Marcus was a little boy and he has the foot injury. And so that's the same character Marcus we see as the research developer with the cane who then develops the Alzheimer's medication that we believe is reasonable to assume that somehow Rebecca benefited from. So that's our link with the Brooks family. The big looming question is, did we need this side story, Paul? In in the penultimate episode where we had so much to say about Rebecca and her life, should we have spent any time giving more meaning to Jack's death or any explanation as to like, you know, that type of thing where like Marcus was linked between Jack and Rebecca? That's a funny question. Did viewers need it? I would say... As high as 80% of viewers absolutely didn't walk away from the episode feeling like they needed that storyline. Did Fogelman need it? I would say yes. That the story he wanted to tell to express the us-ness of This Is Us required him to show how those tiny factors I've been talking about all the podcast interlock with people members of other families, just other people around you. And so he would, if he would have skipped that scene or been talked out of that scene or... Just that thread, that storyline. Yeah. He probably would have considered it a loss, like a failure. Like I didn't say everything. I didn't leave it all on the field, as they say, you know. Which I completely think they did. And I know it confused a lot of viewers and I know a lot of people don't take notes like us and they aren't watching it several times. And this is one of those shows, though, that from the first episode, if you look back, episode one and two, if you watch them back to back and you mark down on any type of piece of paper how many twists and turns there were, you don't realize the time you're in the hospital, what era you're in when it's happening until you realize, oh my God, I know where we're at. I know I know what's happening now until the guy starts smoking and you start to realize like, oh my God, we're not in the 2000s. Like we're not now. There's so many twists and turns that the show taught us how to watch it, which was you have to wait till the end of every episode before all the pieces are going to come together. So don't get frustrated as you're going through. But I'm going to say that line again. You have to wait till the end to see how all the pieces come together. And I think that is what we get in this episode. But I think that's the larger message, right? Mm-hmm. Like looking at Rebecca and her journey, like you have to, you can't take each individual piece and understand it. You have to look at it as a whole and the picture becomes more clear. Let's move real quick over to Deja and, and Marcus for just a second. Because, Deja and Malik even? Right. That was not a slip of the tongue. The the <laughs> I was saying Marcus because that was the confusing factor for people, right? Because they didn't want this Brooks story in here because they felt like, I mean, people I'm sure so liked confused. Him. 
I did like him, but so <laughs> confused as to like, why, why is this Marcus guy here as Deja's boyfriend? And so it turns out, no, it is Malik. He comes bopping in and he does have the restaurant. We do find out there's closure there. He's pleased to be a dad and have a baby with her, despite the fact that I don't know how these two guys are going to do this. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> restaurant life is known to be a very exhausting, very... 24 7 kind of life and then plus a, a residence life also known to be the exact same like goodness i think let's assume that tv magic is is going to make that work because we all know in real life that when doctors enter that phase mm -hmm. of becoming a full-fledged md the timing there is not doesn't doesn't work out with giving birth and taking time off to do anything related to the baby you just gave birth to. But TV magic, she's gonna be a doctor. She's gonna be whatever. a doctor. Everything's gonna be fine. I think that we have Grandel and uh, and I'm gonna call her BB Senator Grandel. <laughs> Senator Grandel. That's what I keep calling grandfather Randall's Grandel and Beth. I think she'd go be like BB or something, right? Not Mima. No, definitely not. <laughs> but you know what? I think that they'll have them as support system as well. You know for sure, and that's gonna be a whole different life for that baby. They're compared to Deja's life and everything else that went on. They're gonna have a whole different experience. So. I think also that baby needs to represent hope and the future of the Pearson clan because, you know, we're going to lose a member tonight. It's always a nice balance when they say, but there's a new one's coming, right? That's right. Everybody was there this time. People have been missing all the kids. They were all, they, everybody showed up, you guys. Everybody the showed up. Actress playing Annie played as said in many words as the uh, younger Annie has ever said on the whole show. What did you think about how they tried to address that with this whole, you always told me that it was okay to be quiet. Like they tried to make it seem like this character was just always this shy, quiet little girl. That's why she had no storyline. She was mm. always silent. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> We didn't get to see every single person say goodbye to Rebecca, but we did get a chance to see them all congregating in sort of like, I'm going to call it the waiting room, right? So it's the living room and they are listening to Joni Mitchell records. And of course, the song that they're playing is is very symbolic of the circle of life and everything going round and round. Very fascinating then when we get to the train portion, because of course, we discussed how you go round and round and stuff like that on your train track, right? What did you think of this sort of almost reunion-esque slash, I always, I, I would equate it to like Gilmore Girls when there's like the surprise graduation party at the end and the camera like goes to each character's face. Like it's like it gives you a chance to see each of them one more time and, they, and they're smiling and almost waving into the camera for that particular show. In this one, they have them all talking about different memories, but then each of them actually says goodbye to one another and gives hugs and almost, just almost, looks into the camera and is like, goodbye, <laughs> like, a la Von Trapp family. I thought it was great, especially when you um, told me how um, a lot of that stuff had been filmed when the show began, cementing the idea that Fogelman knew where he was going so much that he knew he needed to capture especially the kids. Yeah, the as, littlest on the train, for sure. As they looked when they were first filmed. It's like a 4K TV owner's 
treasure hunt trying to find all of the reminders of the various stages and important days and even unimportant things in um, Rebecca's life that are just strewn throughout the the train cars. They're just all in the background. If you were like me and had to watch this at any point on your phone and, and considered it good, you might want to <laughs> go back and find a TV because... I made Paul rewatch it on the big TV. There's a like, lot there. I was like, there's no way you're seeing all the details that are going on. So right before we get on the train, I, I'm each of them try to, they all say goodbye, different members. So we had like Toby say goodbye and we had Beth say goodbye and they each have their moments. For me, I thought Beth, you know, saying, I got him, you can go. And she's, she calls her mama and I think that's so sweet. Yeah. And, and just has that like, I got him because- you know, you and I have anxious children and I feel like, you know, one of our biggest worries is like, but who will, who will calm them when I'm not here? You yeah. know? And so to have someone whisper to you, like, I got this, like, you're good. You can go. What a gift. What was one of your favorite goodbyes? Well, I liked Toby's snark about <laughs> Philip. Mr. Mustache looks like, you know, the kind of guy that runs a no-tell motel. Um, <laughs> I thought what he said, you can tell me if you like me better, all that. Yes, that. <laughs> super funny, super good. And very Toby, we needed those moments, right, to lighten it up a little bit. You know, we had them talking about memories, like Edie and Nikki talking about their third date was going to Olive Garden versus the third date for Rebecca and Jack was driving to California, going on a road trip. And just like those funny little light moments that I know people have a hard time with sometimes, but I think it's super realistic. I know you and I talked about that. We've talked about it throughout this podcast. The most morbid of circumstances, the only way to get it through is by making those little jokes and telling those little stories and somehow finding a way to kind of break the tension. And that part where they were all kind of congregated in the living room, each going in, I just enjoyed each of having a moment with each of them, whether it was in the living room or in talking to Rebecca, like Madison reminding us of her bachelor party. Although that was all set up. No payoff, no denouement. Oh, that like, Madison thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was only funny because Rebecca was there and she was like just as cheeky as everyone else. So they kind of left it to our imagination to remember that story. But you're totally right. Like Madison did not actually tell that story. She just said a sentence or two and everyone went, whoa. Good night. Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye -bye. Basically like put it, put it away. Well, there were kids in the room, right? So it and got awkward fast. This is, this is five years from now at least, maybe 10. Who knows? I don't know. And I think you, it's supposed to be 2032. You think the presence of overt sexuality in, <laughs> in the universe is going to diminish to the point where the, these 12-year-olds don't know what a stripper is? Or Oh, I don't know. I think that they were just all in a place where they were like, all right, it's getting late. I mean, it was a weird story to bring up, Madison. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, it'd like, sure. be weirder. But I appreciated all those little things, especially because I'm doing this rewatch. I feel like... They are like practically naming episodes throughout their conversation. Every time they, they say a line, there's like, boom, there was this one, and boom, there was this one. And it's so fun as a watcher to be able to remember those things. I, again, encourage you guys, highly go back and watch those episodes. You'll really enjoy it. Especially once you start identifying the props in the background of the train. All right, so we're we ready to talk about the train and all the different ways that they use the train. So with the backdrop of... Everyone getting a chance to say goodbye, right? We have this looming, where's Kate? Where's Kate? Everyone's been screaming since the beginning. She's dead, right? Oh, no. She's she's not dead. 
um, she'd become very important not only to the um, children of California, upon whose art curriculum they all depend, but now she is taking her mastery of artistic curricula worldwide. I think it's for blind children, Paul, just to be clear. Well, that is a small community, as it right, turns out. so it's not so weird. You're making it sound weird. Right? I know you're probably thinking there's, that there's, yeah, there's millions of blind people all over the world. Maybe, but in terms of like the people that are dedicated to servicing and educating them, that is a small community. So it's not weird at all that she was taking this international and that, you know, but again, I was kind of chortling to myself that her massive career success is summed up on a one sentence phone call of like, you had to take your, this curriculum international. <laughs> like that was it. Well, like, that's true. Like wah, wah. we have not gotten any similar sentences to see. Has Kevin kept acting? Has Randall be just stayed a senator? Did he decide to, to drop out? Did he, I don't know, try yeah. something else? We haven't gotten any of that shit. We've all had to get this kind of like postscript of all the successes Kate has had off camera. Maybe I think that some of that stuff we can hold, we can keep our powder dry, that we still have the finale. Oh, my powder is <laughs> I could tell dampening. you get a little R, a little much over there. But I, but honestly, we still have the finale. So I, so no worries. I, we still have a lot to wrap up in terms of where everyone ends up and what big advances they made or what have you. I thought this train metaphor was amazing. The, the small details of like you said the props on the train really oh my gosh i was like I, I was practically with a magnifying glass like going up to the screen being like oh my god when i saw dr k holy smokes the amount of stuff that was around him i was like freaking out because seeing william oh all right paul we got to talk about this larger thing some people thought the train was heaven and i i do not think that i think believe this is Rebecca's subconscious, whatever activity she still has in her brain at this moment as it's dying, reviewing her memories. And the reason why it's William is because one of her biggest regrets, one of the things that would stick out in her head forever would be the whole William secret with Randall. That's how the story started. You know, going back again on this rewatch, a lot of this This Is Us storyline revolved at the very beginning around Randall finding his father and the fact that Rebecca had kept the secret. So it wasn't weird to me that William was the person who was going to walk her through. Okay. Um, what do you think? Heaven, subconscious, what have you? I think they left it in a place where you could conceivably believe whatever you want. Well, the way people popped in, though, that were alive, like how Beth talks to her and she's like on the train. That How does that work for heaven? Is it like she's going in and out of consciousness? And I'm, I'm tending to believe for myself the idea that it is a, a way to construct your life flashing before your eyes in a way that we can see it on TV in a nice, easy to consume way. One of the things that helps me think that is when she is talking to Dr. K, for a second there, it seems like he's presenting new information that only an angelic Dr. K could give. Like, I thought I was going to lose you. But That's he says, true. he actually says, and I think you knew it too. Right. right? That's true. So that, and then he says, and I shouldn't be telling you this. So, Which it, again, that's you're right. That's very guardian angel esque, right? Like I'm giving you some info that, right? So you could believe it that way. But the part where he says, "But I think you knew that too," means 
in the, in the recesses of her, her brain. Mind, right. Yeah. That information was there. Okay, I I appreciate that. And I'm even willing to go with a havesy havesies where she was floating in between mm-hmm. worlds where she because there's times when she's hearing the PA system, which I thought was a brilliant device to be able to show that she could still hear the people talking to her at the cabin. Amazing. Amazing. When that happened the first time with Beth, I like jumped out of my skin. I was like, oh, that's like her representing her, like hearing them. Like, really, that that was really amazing. I was there when my grandfather died, and our doctor was like, he can hear you to the very last minute. He can hear you. So even though no other part of him, he wasn't squeezing hands, he wasn't doing anything, but he was still showing brain activity. We talked to him the whole time, and each of us said we loved him and, you know, that he did a great job and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And so to have that PA system and then also have the character of Beth change from an adult person to the young Beth, who was the one that that's who Rebecca initially met. So that's sort of who she is in her head as well, this young, you know, teenage version of Beth and the the current day. Amazing. Amazing. I, I just think that that was so cool. The supernaturalist in me sees um, some similarity to the ending of Lost, where everybody meets in the church, and this being kind of a version of that event. If you recall, everybody had plans to meet at the church. If the, Like multiple episodes were like, you know, we have that thing tonight we got to get to. Mm-hmm. And eventually Jack does get there and he's like, oh, shit, I'm dead. What are all you doing here? But it was like the same sort of thing. Everybody that he knew and valued was there. And that was definitely a construct for heaven or not heaven, but the afterlife. That's what made me go down that road initially. Okay. Now, did you I, I'm not as, cynical. as you were going? Well, I'm not. I've seen I've seen the write up that you sent about the person that that wanted to to chalk it up to like an Alzheimer's patient's garbled mind, just reconstructing oh. things willy nilly. Well, I want to, um, and I, I don't want to be as cynical as that. Oh no, I didn't think that was cynical at all. I thought it totally answered the Miguel situation, where why she looked at him with such a faint smile and why she why their interaction was so short because. Okay, so there was a person on Reddit, and I'm sorry I don't have that person's name because I would give you credit, um, but there was articles, it was like in Good Housekeeping and all over the place about this, where this person wrote it up to where the explanation of this, why she saw different versions of people and why, for the most part, she was seeing her kids as the little children, specifically Miguel was just a blip, was because- And it was young Miguel. As an Alzheimer's patient, her memories are strongest when she was younger. So the Miguel she was looking at was Jack's best friend, not her husband. That's why she didn't see gray-haired Miguel. That's why she didn't see the Miguel that she knew as her husband. But she saw this man who was Jack's best friend because Alzheimer's patients would rely on those old memories. And so when he says, you know, all the the kind of flirting comments, she gives him a smile, but it's not it's not reciprocated. She's not like, I, you're my favorite person to her. I love you or thank you for everything. I wanted like a hug and thank you for everything. But I get it because she's working off of another set of memories that aren't this. And I, I'm willing to believe that. I wanted to think more like she was recalling the idealized version of, of those people. But that doesn't explain Miguel. And nothing explains why 
there's nothing about her parents, not even just like walking her by dad, her dad. Her dad, when she, they do walk by her father, but it's her father and her on the train. It's that same shot that we saw. Little girl, saw. Little girl the looking, there was a little girl reading the little caboose book. Hmm. And then the man with her, that's her dad. And that was shown in a couple episodes ago when she was talking about the caboose book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the little girl, you know, looking at the museum pieces, I think that she had such a negative, she had a really negative relationship with her mom. Ultimately, I guess you just blow past the idea that like, you know, she wouldn't be the top people. I, the other one that's super problematic for a lot of people is that Kyle wasn't there in any form or fashion. And what people, you know, are debating right now is if these are her memories, then some people would say, well, since she was she was knocked out, she was like put under anesthesia to have the babies and she had to wake up later. She never held Kyle. She never saw Kyle. There was never anything like that. So she, therefore, she doesn't have a memory. Other people argued she was pregnant with him for nine months. There could have been some way to represent that, that she would have had That's the heaven believers. That. I agree with you very much. So you either have to go with it's it's got to walk some sort of line there. You're you're right. Like Kyle would be in heaven, but Kyle wouldn't necessarily be a, a tangible person in her memories at this point. So it's tricky. They did acknowledge it with Dr. K when he said you lost a child. I mean, they did acknowledge Kyle, but I'm telling you, I I'm, I'm gonna say this. There's a lot of women out there who felt very hurt by the because they've lost a child and in their processing of it and sort of being okay with it they have told themselves i will see my child again in the afterlife so there's a kind of some hurt that like that child wasn't there it very much bothered them that that baby didn't come back in her memories or whatever well that speaks very well then for the not so supernatural more memories flashing before you die phenomenon that's it's pretty well established. Yeah, I had pulled up a, an actual article that um, Fogelman put out that was about how they did a study and they were able to see that you're, you're, there are some flashes that go through your brain that are like a dreamlike memory state right before you die that appears to be something similar to perhaps your life flashing before your eyes. So you guys, there are so many um, amazing memories that were shared on the train. I feel like there are some good comprehensive lists that people are starting to make about all the Easter eggs all over the place. Did you have a favorite one that you spotted in a background that you were like, oh? The um, inclusion of the, the of the Franco Harris game was was clever. You know, the old style TV. Mm-hmm. Um, the Immaculate Reception. It's, you know, it, it's funny. You and I have taken various Hollywood studio tours and we've seen props and and wardrobe and various kinds of displays or even received them for one reason or another and we've we've asked like you know what happens with the the props or the various furnishings or whatever and they're like well we just hang on to them until they're sure they're not going to use them anymore and in this case that's that's like see See, this is this is exactly why you don't get rid of that 1983 Panasonic TV and put it on another show. It's because you need it <laughs> right. for the finale. Exactly, exactly. Well, some of the ones that that really surprised me behind Dr. K, there were so many great ones that it was it was very apparent that we were supposed to be looking back there, like he was washing the beer glasses with the terrible towel. And that was the towel that Rebecca gave Jack for his 36th birthday that she had to buy at like the liquor store. Little things like that that you could see. And it was very obvious to me. It was very fast. But the ones that I really enjoyed, 
And you guys, I'm going to throw it out. There was like the growth chart, the Lundy mug, the trolley, the ball of yarn. Um, there was the dad mug. The Katobi thing. Yeah, but that one bothered me a little bit because that would be Jack's memory. I feel like uh, there was a Katobi bottle of like champagne or wine. The one that that really just came out of nowhere for me was when we were looking at Miguel and talking to Miguel. And behind his shoulder, you could see Jack's little red boots on a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just knocked me over. Knocked me over because everything else was in one straight line on display. And then it was just like, boop, <laughs> like these little red boots. Now, her, her piano was there at one point. There was there was definitely other things. Obviously, there was the artwork that she looked at in the museum. There's a lot of things all over the place that you could definitely keep looking. And I'm sure there will be like a great article written up. With someone tells every single little nugget of what was in there, those boots knocked me over. They just did because they were just they were just tucked in a bookcase, just so. And it's kind of shadowy so. there, but right next to it is wine, which is what she would have. So I mean, he was, uh, you know, swirling some wine right there, Miguel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was his thing. Um, but yeah, there's some wine on the shelf there next to the boots. There's so much. I, it was all just like loved it, loved all of that. And the moment when she gets to the caboose. And it's Kate in there with the jar. Yeah. We had the screener, which, of course, is missing most of the visual effects. So for me, that was just a kid with a jar. <laughs> right. So she had lightning bugs in yes, there, fireflies. Yes, And And I, you guys, I could be wrong, and please don't, like, murder me for this one. But I believe that's where her nickname Bug came from. I think mm. it was it was had to do with that, if I'm remembering correctly. I haven't gotten to that rewatched episode yet, but I'm guessing because she says, "Mom, it's me, Bug," yeah. and then, then she's holding the little lightning it's bugs. Just, that's not the actress I associate with little Kate. With the littlest, that's the littlest Kate. Mm. That's not a toddler, but that had like talking little lines and stuff. Yeah, it's the next one up that I think of as Kate. The eight-year-old kind of version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that would have been a significant moment. Was that's how she got her nickname? Yeah. So right. then that's where you get that. So all the rest of the little things, I, I thought it was so amazing to see each of the versions of the actor as she goes, because it was such a great honoring of those little actors who played that role, like to see all three Kevins and all three Randalls and all that kind of stuff in each spot. I was really floored by how amazing it was, like like adult Kevin showing little guy Kevin the baseball card or adult Randall having little guy Randall, you know, on his back doing the push-ups. Like there were so many little cool moments like that that, God, you could just go through with like a fine-tooth comb and find just moment after moment. Easter eggs. It's tearjerker, man. It got me. And also the idea that what I was just saying about how you can still hear to the end, the push-ups and the baseball card – in the Pilgrim Rick talk, that was all happening in the bedroom, you know, but she was hearing it. It was manifesting. And it was her. manifesting in right. the train. And that's where I'm going with the subconscious versus heaven is because they were inputting that information actively and she was, it was happening on the train. I, it was just amazing. Now, there was that teaser at the very beginning of the I'm waiting for someone. Yes. Now, I think. Every single person assumed it was going like this. Will it be Jack or will it be Miguel? Will it be Jack or will it be Miguel? Who is she waiting for, right? Because it's all must be her love, right? Right. But they always have to pull a This Is Us twist on us. And this is uh, stuff that happens in real life where you hear someone who is at death's door, but that one child hasn't made it yet. 
once they, even though they never open their eyes, um, once somehow they absorb the fact that that person they've been waiting for arrives, then it doesn't take long after that. And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. So I, it was a huge relief to see Kate run through that courtyard. Um, Past the tiniest, boringest four square <laughs> championship ever. Yeah, but there's the reason for the sidewalk chalk. To see her come running and just say, like, I love you, it's me, Bug, all that stuff. I mean, super adorable. I thought Randall's little goodbye was so funny and mixed up. Like, when he said, thank you for all the meals, I, like, burst out, you guys, because there is no part of Rebecca that was about being this, like, great cook. I think it's that he's been eloquent so often that he's finally at a loss for words. He, I, I agree with you. And it, it was like, it was a funny thing. Like, I cannot imagine thanking my own mother. Thank you for all the meals because my father made so much of the food. And, and it just, it was, that wasn't a thing. But it would seem like it would be equivalent if I had said the same thing. Like, thank you for the meals. And I thought it was, it was really cute. And like you said, like, just really raw for him to say, like, thank you for beating up that kid who hit me with the baseball bat. Like, again, it kind of broke the tension, allowed the audience a little moment to smile remind us of the young rebecca and then kevin just being you know real simple just i love you mom i liked the 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 winking at the audience between the brothers with dad was strangely ripped for a dad in the <laughs> 90s wasn't he he was always doing push-ups that's what they said <laughs> yeah loved him couldn't get enough <laughs> So funny. So funny. Very true. There was a lot of winking at the audience, I thought, throughout this. I mean, you know, when they said two on the nose at one point and it was kind of like someone could have looked directly in the camera and been like, wink, you know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot there that I felt like um, they wanted to include us. And I felt included in saying goodbye. I felt like I was in that room. I felt like I was in the living room exchanging memories. When they were looking through the album, my eyes were like squinting and there were pictures of Jack and little kids and stuff like that. Like it wasn't just, they didn't just, it wasn't an empty album. It was full of pictures of the, of the characters, you know, with the, with the kids and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, like I was trying to see that. If you looked, there was a picture on her nightstand it was Rebecca and Randall, and it was from when they were in the diner, when they were taking that road trip to go see uh, Deja, go s- get her back from Malik um, just a couple episodes ago. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the table they were sitting at. That's what she was wearing. And, like, here it is. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of their last selfies, really, that we saw. And then even next to that, we have Kevin's script from Hill 400 in that acrylic box, like, obviously being, like, memorialized in its own way. Underneath Kev- Kevin's painting. Yeah, that was on the other side. But yes, you're totally okay. right. <laughs> yeah, Kevin's painting makes a makes a resurgence here. We see it again. Even though Wim calls it dopey. Oh my god. When he said that, I was like, you are so, so silly. But again, broke the tension, right? Because that William speech, which we will include in here uh, for you guys, so you can listen to it one more time before we go. The way I see it, if something makes you sad when it ends. It must have been pretty wonderful when it was happening. Truth be told, I've always felt it a bit lazy to just think of the world as sad. Because so much of it is. Because everything ends. Everything dies. But if you step back, If you step back and look at the whole picture, 
if you're brave enough to allow yourself the gift of a really wide perspective. If you do that, you'll see that the end is not sad, Rebecca. It's just the start of the next incredibly beautiful thing. Sometimes I think it's necessary for showrunners to address the audience through a character. And as long as they do it in a way that's meaningful or playful, never making fun, but just addressing some sort of, I don't know, some sort of need, some sort of urgency within the community that follows their show. For example, several years ago, when we were covering The Leftovers, there was this mad dash to figure out why in the world this issue of the National Geographic from the 70s was important. We even got it. We read it from cover to cover. Couldn't figure actually out. actually got it on eBay, you guys. Couldn't find what it had to do with anything. There was a long chapter on Cairo, modern day Cairo, at least from the 70s in there. So the next episode, the next season of The Leftovers comes along and this ghost character tells Kevin, what you need to do is you need to go to Cairo and in this museum in Cairo is this ancient cup and you need to get this cup and this part's going to be a little r-rated but you need to ejaculate into the cup and then you need to drink it and kevin meanwhile is like really i need to do all that this and is the kevin from the leftovers not kevin from this is us right this is he's just poking the the writer's just poking fun at the audience right. for having then the character says no, no, I have no idea. No, no, you don't need to go to Cairo and you don't need to do all that. And that's the thing that it's like, yeah, because because we were all on the edge of our seat because we thought finally oh, they finally were going to explain the National Geographic and all the meaning behind it. And no, and they were teasing us completely. They were looking right at us and saying, you guys have been discussing this out there and on Reddit and, and Facebook and everywhere else. And we see you and we're reading and we're laughing. And, you know, we want to acknowledge some of your comments. I think that they did that brilliantly throughout this season actually there was a lot of moments where they kind of winked at us and they they reminded us that this was all for a reason whatever we did you know or whatever we didn't answer you know they could kind of put like a little tongue-in-cheek little joke in here or there william's speech sums it all up it does it spoke directly to the audience and exactly what we're supposed to think about this show and i mean i think it was beautiful this one in the end of the good place the description of death, the explanation of death is actually extremely soothing to me. In The Good Place, they basically explain it like um, like we're all individual waves and, you know, we come up and we break on the sand and then we seamlessly join back to the ocean and you can no longer see an individual wave. You just that you just go back in and, and that that's how kind of gracefully people come and go. You come in as the wave crash and go back into the ocean and and there was something about that that somehow just made me feel like you're not alone you know you're going back with everybody else you know like that kind of thing that makes me feel calmer and this whole idea that when Rebecca looks into the camera and said this is sad the end isn't it I mean god if if Mandy Moore isn't talking directly to all of us right you know as each of her children say I love you I mean what <laughs> what a, a touching moment this is right my life ending but also, this is this show right. ending. 
and William addressed both things with one speech. He did. He absolutely did. And, you know, William, again, if you go back and do the rewatch, for some people who might say, boy, you know, why did they choose William over, say, Dr. K, over, say, Miguel, over, over any other character walking her through? William dropped those nuggets throughout. Every time he was around, he had some little jewel to, to hand over to somebody. And he did it with Beth. He did it with Rebecca. He did it with Randall. He did it with the girls. He definitely had wisdom. And so there, that alone also allowed me to have him be the guide, you know, and bring her through. If you want to go with the theory of her strongest memories being from longer ago, then the version of Miguel that she remembers strongest mm -hmm. was the one who left her on the on the porch saying... Going to Houston, yeah. Right. That mm -hmm. was, you're my favorite person. That was the last meaningful thing he said to her before that. And to some extent, you might think that's maybe when the Alzheimer's started. You might, if you do go back and look at those early episodes, you'll start to notice a frequency with which she can't remember things. Yes. And in the context of the moment, it feels like, well, she's just an older woman not being able to remember some childhood friend's name or whatever. But it's very subtle. It comes up enough that you see the pattern. Yes. So yeah. So if you start back at episode one, you're going to see her saying, I can't remember. Or I couldn't remember that thing or I forgot that whatever. It's very subtle. It's not all the time, but you absolutely can see it sprinkled through a, a, a testimony to the, the grander plan that was always in place. So getting to that caboose car, Paul, when she finally is willing to go in and see that bed and that she's earned the rest. What did you think of that ending? It's... I knew to an extent that would have to be what was coming, right? Because we hadn't seen Jack so far. Right. I can't wait to see what happens now that it's just the two of them in there. Do you think we get to rejoin them? I think we will. Okay. But I don't think that's going to be the entire episode. Well, we got, we'll got we get into predictions in a minute, but... I thought it was perfect myself. I kind of misread the whole show in terms of thinking maybe it was... You know, is this the story of Kevin becoming a man or or uh, Kate becoming, you know, meeting her potential or whatever? And yeah, it was those things. But really, this was Rebecca's story from start to finish. Why else would it end with her death? I, I think it's fair to say it was Jack's, too. I mean, we got to see him from childhood all the way through and, and everything. But definitely this last season led us into Rebecca's life I feel like in a way that I don't know she was finally acknowledged for the mother and the wife and the and the friend and the and the role model and everything that she was the dominance with which Jack played on the family in the seasons where he was most present mm -hmm. might even represent kind of that Rebecca had a I'm giving Caroline air quotes a big you know partner so she didn't need to be as big right I think that's true. And when she didn't have many more, she all of a sudden needed to be big. There's that sort of, um, you know, behind every great man, there's a great woman kind of thing that can get overlooked in a lot of ways that, yeah, Jack was a, and again, you guys go back and watch because was he a perfect dad? Was she a perfect mom? No, they made mistakes along the way. And, and she says that to Dr. K and he forgives her. This is a, this is a whole series of, of forgiveness that's happening, forgiving herself of things that happened. I think even with William being her guide, there's a forgiveness 
that's happening that's that's she's like letting go of regrets and things that happened and one comment that I feel like I've saw a couple of times was the words exchanged between Rebecca and Jack like when she lays down and she does have to kind of resign herself like she sits down on the bed she kind of takes a breath and then she kind of lays back um, and looks over at him and Randall's you know said his last word to her was tell him hey hmm. um, and so then she says hey and he says hey to her. Some people, I think, wanted them to say, like, I love you, or I can't believe it's you, or, you know, big embrace or something. But that's not how married people lay down in bed together, is it? Well, they didn't leave that way. And because they actually look the way they left each other, like she, the way that she is age wise and the way that he's made up, they're at the ages and stages when they left each other. And when she leaves the room, when he when he dies, right? When she leaves the room, she like sticks her, she, he goes, hey, Beck. And she goes, yeah. And she turns and you think he's going to say, I love you. And she's going to say, I love you too or something like that. And he goes, you're in the way of the TV. And she sticks his her tongue out at him. That's their last words. And they like walk away. She walks out of the room. The idea of them coming back together and not being like gushy, but being like, hey, hey, like, they're kind of that couple, you know, that mm -hmm. they didn't have these last final words and they and when they come back together, they're still kind of cool. Like, you know, like they they just kind of they're every day with each other, you know? Yeah, that you're right. That makes me think we will get one more, even if it's microscopic, just Jack Something. speech that she needs to hear before she dies. Let us do our predictions i know i say predictions sometimes that's for my best friend aisha i know you're listening predictions for the finale of this is us hmm. i'm expecting a memorial service of some sort i think Rebecca. it'll be short for us okay i mean in terms of like the service part i think there'll be a lot of wake a lot of reception a lot of exchanging of memories and happy times you know that that sort of thing I expect that pin the tail on the donkey game to come back into play because Rebecca was the most sad that this was going to be the last time they were going to play pin the tail on the donkey when they were kids. And she was really sad about that. You know, I know Beth brought that game. So I expect that to be played somewhere at her memorial. That lazy Saturday that was described by Kevin as like Rebecca's favorite thing um, where they just play games and hang out and just chill at the cabin like I think that that's totally that sort of lawn space that they created between the two cabins seems mm -hmm. like the perfect kind of you know lawn games and just relaxing and talking and visiting I see all that do you think we get some flashbacks to Jack's memorial I don't know if we we need anything like that I really need flash forwards in some way like I would really love it we we have a couple of flash forwards that are dangling out there we have Jack and baby Jack and his wife having the baby, Hope. Yep. We have him doing his performance that we knew was on a large stage, but we just get for like a clip. Like we don't know where he's playing or what he's doing. Remember the mm -hmm. big stage, the big stadium kind of stage. And like stuff like that where we could bump forward. And also remember we have Jack's hosting Thanksgiving, baby Jack hosting Thanksgiving. He had all that shrimp, remember? I would like to see that kind of finish. People will love that kind of finish where you get the sense that everybody has has been given a good strong push in a good direction but you get to see a little bit of it too i would think at that thanksgiving wouldn't we get to see nicholas and franny as adults we yeah. get to see Haley. we'll get to hear some more off-camera updates on kate's career she's an ambassador <laughs> to no, the I... united nations now <laughs> 
Um, Maybe so. I would think we'd see Deja and Malik's kids, like, you know, stuff like that. Right. Like, I think people would love to see that stuff. A happy Tess. Yeah. Um, Maybe she has a partner that they bring in. Maybe Annie is like, you know, brings her silent friend. Maybe Annie <laughs> will turn out to have been like... Uh, She's like an orator. Right, an oral <laughs> storyteller of some sort. <laughs> She's, She's like a Garrison Keillor sort. Exactly. Uh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that's what I'm expecting. Do you want to know how each of the big three die? Do you want no, it to go to that point? I don't. I don't need it. If okay. they get it, I won't say, damn it, but... Um, I don't need that. I just need, like I said, that good. You They've know, set the table literally s- with the Thanksgiving, with with a shove in their little boat toward it. That's all I really, really want. I don't. If it, I don't want them to end at like the memorial, I want to see I those think threads. Go it's appropriate out. to end at that baby Jack hosted Thanksgiving in the future with the babies born. So he is bringing out that shrimp because Nikki brought shrimp. So it like showed like how the traditions along the way continued, but got added to. So like Nikki brought the shrimp. And so then that's what baby Jack was putting out the shrimp. And maybe like women will be wearing Pilgrim Rick's hat or oh, <laughs> something. Damn, that would be progressive. I would love to see that. Something like that. <laughs> Paul, we only have one more episode. Are you sad? I'm really sad to see this go. I, my heart is really, really heavy. You know, I don't usually... And the long history of podcasting that we have, this is the most dramatic drama that I think that we've covered that didn't have any amount of supernaturalness <laughs> to it. There's no um, monsters or ghouls or space. So on the one hand, I do look forward to turning my attention back to those things. But my sadness is mostly that you and I will need to find a new show to cover together because this was our our thing. This was us, right? This was us. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, but really just do all of the Pod Clubhouse podcasts on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A high rating helps other people find the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.